So how do you feel about a potential reboot of Star Wars? In terms of doing the same stories again? In terms of, like, like keep obviously keep the skeleton of the story, but, like... I don't need it's it. It's a reboot. So... No, I'm not interested. Why specifically? I'm not interested in seeing Luke Skywalker's story retold. Because it was so good the It's first not time. that... It... No. <laughs> Because, and here's why, I I feel like because this is backed by a little bit of evidence. Star Wars is always more interesting when we don't know where we're going. And by that, I don't mean when there's not a plan, because clearly that that fucks some things up. But point being, like, there's enough space. There's enough space to tell a completely new story. And I don't really need someone to polish or fix the stories that have been told, just let them be. Just let them be and move on. Like, just moving on feels healthier to me. Do you it's not like it's a book. Do you actually moving on? No, but it's different. Like, it's... Because when you're talking about this, like, moving on can mean carrying through the story, which, I mean, clearly we're getting Daisy Ridley in another trilogy. Uh... It can move. It can mean moving on, like not looking back, and it can also mean building upon what's already there, it, to make it better. You know, like keep going. I guess is my my thing. Because I think one of the things that is genuinely damaging. There are many things damaging my re- relationship with Star Wars, but like one of the things that's damaging it is that there is not this feeling of like enough new. Because, yeah, because they keep trying to wait, they keep trying to rope old fans back into shit by throwing Luke Skywalker in one to two episodes of The Mandalorian. Well, I mean, The Mandalorian as a whole takes place not going forward. And then it takes place in a time in the middle. Right. And Kenobi wasn't going forward. And Solo and Rogue One wasn't going forward. And now they're doing stuff with the Old Republic that is going backwards. Well, Okay, uh, it, uh, I, you are valid up until you talk about the Old Republic, because the Old Republic, to me, it's just uncharted. It's it's uncharted. It's like, you're valid in saying that, like, okay, the time between the Clone Wars and A New Hope has been tread. We've done it a lot. Like, clearly, we've tread it with Obi-Wan Kenobi on the close end uh, of, of Episode 3, and we've done it with Rogue One and Andor on the close end of Episode 4. And we've done The Mandalorian after Episode 6. And so, like, we're we're putting plenty of content in the spaces in between the movies. What's beyond 9 and what is before 1 is totally fine and valid places to expand out for me and keep going. Well, I think the issue for me personally is an issue that because everyone loves to blame Kathleen Kennedy. This is a George Lucas problem of like Star Wars. Star Wars, aside from Skywalker, feels so amorphous. It's like I can't cling to anything outside of Skywalker And this is a problem that I think is actually specific to Star Wars because of how they did Star Wars, the nine movies. Okay, the eight movies, because to be fair, Ryan Johnson was trying to get the fuck away from this. Um, Yeah. 
But like, for an example, if you were to make an alien movie right now and nobody was named Ripley, cool. I yeah, because it it stands on its own with the alien and Waylon Yutani and all that stuff. You don't really need a Ripley in it to make it alien. You just kind of need, I don't know, a fucking alien, and that's about it. But Star Wars without Jedi is kind of like, or maybe I think the more specific thing now that they've written themselves into this corner is that if you don't have the following things, I actually don't know what Star Wars looks like. If you don't have a Skywalker, the Jedi, and the Empire slash Palpatine. Without those three things, I'm like, what does Star Wars look like then? That's fair because, yeah, we've always revolved around the concept of a fascist state that is linked to a dark religion and then a light religion with rebels. That's what we've always revolved around is like those dynamics where it's like in the in the actual literal center of the combat is a rebellion and an empire. And then in the backgrounds of both of those is this is this force level conflict and you're you're right about that and i think it would it takes a massive degree of creativity for anyone to do something outside of those realms and for it to still feel like star wars i think that an argument with the high republic stuff that could be made is that like yeah it doesn't feel like the star wars we know because it's taking one of the most alienating things from the prequels which is this sort of like gilded age where it wasn't rust buckets galore um, and like people just, you know, making things work and it was all CGI crazy fantasy worlds on top of it. And the High Republic can do that ad infinitum because you, you know, you're at an age where it's supposed to be like a little bit like older, but sleeker, more elegant. And so like, yeah, that could feel very alienating for someone who like, especially for me, part of the reason that like The Force Awakens was so nice for me was because it was like oh okay these feel these feel more star wars than the prequels to me simply because of the environment the environment and the circumstances the characters are in because it's more familiar with like downtrodden there are places in ruin and places in opulence um and the technology is advanced yet clunky and that was something that was always kind of inherently star wars whereas like star trek got to be sleek and so i think that's a fair thing where it's like as they continue to expand the world and get farther away from these things, yeah, we don't quite know what Star Wars looks like in those times. You know, I think I'm actually starting to get more of a, like, a tangible thing of, like, I think what my actual problem is. Because I started drifting off into Mandalorian for some reason. I was like, why am I thinking about Mandalorian now? And I'm realizing it is Mandalorian kind of summed up my problem very exactly, but in a way that I wasn't quite aware of fully, like consciously. And it was that, because I kind of, once, now that Nine is out, I have the same problem with the sequel trilogy. Um, because what I wanted from Mandalorian is to follow characters I actually liked and gave a shit about throughout all these different places in the galaxy but the characters were supposed to be the thing. The characters should have carried Mandalorian, and they didn't. 
the universe did. And it's kind of the same thing with the prequel trilogy. The characters didn't live up to what they were supposed to be, but it's still Star Wars. And so that's why it's Star Wars. And now the sequel trilogy, it's like Poe, Finn, Ray should have been the new trinity. They should have spent more time together. We should have got a more of a feel for their dynamic. And those characters should have saw us through large this universe. And so now when it ends, we are now more interested in the characters' journeys rather than fleshing out more of this galaxy we've been fleshing out since 1977. And I think that's the problem, is that everything is done to flesh out the universe and not the characters. And I'm like, ah, uh, I think that's the problem. Well, and what's what's interesting about the sequel trilogies is that like there is this pitfall anytime you don't get far enough away from a set of original characters in that like it reminds me a little bit of like I never watched the sequel series to Naruto. I barely even finished Naruto. And I and you know, and like Dragon Ball Z does this too where it's like Okay, cool. We're now in this phase of the story where all of our characters are well into adulthood and they have like kids. And now their kids are characters. But well, hold on. Hold on now. The, the kids can't be more important than the than the adults here. The adults got to be still like super important. And I think that's something you've talked about about being like, yeah, they should have all just been gone. Just get rid of them and actually make us get give us a chance to care about the new characters. But like. I feel like that's such a tempting pitfall for franchises in general to be like, we still have them. People love them. I love them as a writer who's always wanted to write this. I, I it's I'm so tempted to just use them. And that's certainly a Star Wars thing. It's like Star Wars. Any Star Wars creators are probably foaming at the mouth to be like, I've always wanted to use this character in this one particular way. Let me do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. And then sometimes they let them do it. And sometimes it's to the detriment of telling a brand new story of characters who people should actually give a shit about. Yeah. Are you satisfied with your 16 minute recording of Star Wars before we do an episode you don't want to do? I will do anything <laughs> but talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to make that entire thing a stinger? Um <laughs> Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Red Team Reviews Podcast. I, the voice you're currently listening to, am the voice of TJ Patrick. And I am joined, as always, by the... And just stay with me here, because it's one of those episodes. We're in the middle of May, Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So, joined, as always, by the Marvel film that explores the fictionalized history of a real-life, traditionally oppressed and or colonized race of people, to my respecting women... Don't worry, it's all, it's all. Trevor Catalano? It's all, it will all make sense once we actually start talking about these movies. Okay, all right, I think I actually see where you're going with this, but okay. (laughs) Uh, 
You could have you could have just called me Marvel movies in general. I think that would have been fine. I was thinking specifically uh, in terms of like Black Panther and I get Shang-Chi to be Black Panther, that's fine. And like the Marvel movies that specifically are like we're going to fictionalize the history of Africa or we're going to fictionalize the history of Asia. <laughs> it's just like I is this a subgenre brewing? <laughs> Well, listen, okay, I've already gone into, I gotta go, I already go, went into Afrofuturism, so, like, that's a, you know, also very different, very different conceptually, those two movies, but anyway, we are not uh, here to talk about that, because this is a- We are not here to talk about Marvel a, today, of course not, why would this we? This is a negative review episode. This is, oh, wow, oh, we yeah. just- <laughs> <laughs> We're not even being subtle about it. Uh, All right. This is what happens when we don't do our research. This quite is a frankly. constructive critis- critical <laughs> and constructively critical episode. I don't think we're gonna be that constructive. <laughs> um uh, so today, let's not be TJ, around- like explain your thought process as to how we got here. <laughs> this is look, let's not beat around the bush on this, all right? It's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We were trying to do some things. I was trying to do some things. Little known fact about this podcast, I actually work on the schedule pretty much whenever I come up with ideas. It's not like the schedule is formed and then it's not touched. The schedule is almost always in Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> if quite frankly, if TJ had gone to a movie on Tuesday, like like I we had, I had suggested him, <laughs> we would have been doing a different episode this week. We will still do that episode next week, but it would have been a completely different order. And then, and it, maybe we would have had time <laughs> to make a different choice <laughs> and do this research. But no, I sunk eight dollars oh. into this, and so we're covering it. And I sunk gas money into this. Um, right. Which, <laughs> so we're covering it. I'll explain. So uh, I literally, I have jotted down ideas for 2024 for this podcast. That's That should tell you everything. And that's how I've done it since 2020. I am thinking like months ahead in terms of what we might do. And so the films we are doing today are films that I have been circling the drain on for a while, one in particular, those are Lust Caution and Decision to Leave. Now, Decision to Leave is a movie that literally came out like last year. Last year. Um, but I heard about it through uh, Amanda the Jedi on YouTube, who uh, is a great, uh, per- great YouTuber that loves movies, like regularly goes to film festivals. So a lot of the time, I'll actually learn about these more. I won't, I guess niche in the sense that like, I don't regularly see them advertised here in America randomly. It is genre and international. Like it is thriller romance genre. It is gone girl genre and it's international. That's hard to break through an American audience. Right. Um, And it is a foreign film and foreign films in general, like just, they have a tough time making the trek across the sea here to America. Uh, because we're dumb Americans that don't like reading while we watch movies. Um, well, speak for yourself. We also I make know. a large portion of the movies in the world already, so like that, that's also a factor. Yeah, but that means we also make a lot of the shittiest movies in yeah, the world. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, so... I don't know. We could watch that Russian <laughs> Avengers movie someday and oh, see, no! how, see how true this no! rings. <laughs> I refuse! 
shoes. I, I would walk out of this closet. <laughs> um, but that's interesting because there's also a British Avengers that has nothing to do with the Avengers. It's just a film that happens to oh, be Oh, yeah, the title, yeah. yeah. So that would be an interesting, like, double episode <laughs> oh god oh, that'd be god. a weird ass episode i'm actually totally fine with this no. um <laughs> oh, I can't you, believe- you you always mistake how much i will do it for the bit i i well you didn't do jimmy neutron for the bit no and, you and quite do frankly i've kind of dropped the, the whole i refuse to watch ivan ooze and we've talked about this um and I, I will say, I've been trying to get a Nicolas Cage episode for the bit for a while. Yeah. I did watch The unbear- uh, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, and it wasn't great. So, like, I'm probably memes. just going to drop that. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm kind of just going to drop that. Um, I love Pedro Pascal, but, like, yeah, the movie itself was not that great. So I'm like, okay, cool. The point of this was for me to be, like, really gung-ho about that movie and then talk about it later and i just got tired of waiting when the meme came out and then i watched it i went oh darn well now i don't want to do it (laughs) (laughs) because then we get an episode like this um so yeah (laughs) so uh lust caution okay well so decision to leave yeah i found out through amanda the jedi on youtube uh and thought oh that might be a good idea to like keep that in our back pocket for when may rolls around uh so we have like some really good movies that don't already have a lot of attention. Like, you know, unlike a crouching tiger, hidden dragon, that type of thing. Um, and then I had heard about lust caution, I think from like Cinefix or something like that, or like some, one of these things on YouTube that is just like talking about like fucking the mirror and all these like artistic foreign films that I've never heard about. And I had heard about lust caution through there and always kind of kept it in the back of my mind to the point where we were supposed to do Lust Caution, I think, last May and la- maybe last February, but definitely this February, we thought yeah, about Yeah, it was like it. being paired with In the Mood for Love yeah. as well, which we dropped this time um, in favor of doing these two opposite each other. And, like, thematically, that makes more sense to do these two together. Yeah. But here's the problem. TJ and I don't like this genre of movies <laughs> that's just we don't we don't watch these kind of movies <sighs> so so like this is gonna be a short episode um so I, this is actually something i should have brought up uh off mic but i might as well bring it up now given how we feel about one of these movies in particular which do we start with i think we just go chronological okay <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna take our castor oil now. Um, we're gonna take our. Uh, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really matter, TJ. It's just two bros cheating on their wives with Tang Wei, fifteen years apart because they're not gay. Um, yes, I worked on that. Um, God damn you! Because yes, that is a, another connecting factor to these movies is that both of our men in these movies cheat on their wives with the same actor. <laughs> the, the the other woman in both movies is the same actor. And I had no the main idea. character is the same actor. I had no and we idea didn't when know I going these. in. <laughs> Her name is Tang Wei. <laughs> and I... And if there was an American reboot, they'd cast Constance Wu, I guarantee it. Because they do actually look kind of similar. Uh, Sandra Oh should be in more things. Um, Ooh, Sandra Oh would be an amazing pick for a Lust Caution redo, but I don't think they should re- do redo Lust Caution. Um, <laughs> so, 
Also, what would make Ang Lee want to redo this movie? Like, don't don't let Ang Lee do it. Yeah, don't let don't let him. What do would it. make him want to? Oh my god! So, lust caution. Long story short, um, we neither of us have history with this movie. I foolishly had this movie in my hands via rental from my library, like in January or February, and. Had the idea to watch it early because I still wasn't completely sold on whether or not we should do it for Valentine's Day. But we ultimately ended up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Your name's looking real good right about now, isn't it, TJ? <laughs> well, um, all right. I mean, it was por- it was paired with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So it's not really fair. Yeah. <laughs> That's not fair. Um, And God, could you imagine this paired with. Portrait of a God, Lady on Fire. no. <laughs> we should have, if that were the case, we would have definitely called the We wouldn't episode, have covered it. We would have titled the episode. We wouldn't have. We would have titled the episode something along the lines of, see, this is why you need to be gay. This is why lesbians <laughs> exist. Because, <laughs> fuck men, this is what men do. This, you talk about men, this is men. Or whatever that line is from Friends. Um, so... I had the DVD in my physical possession in January or February, and I didn't end up watching it. I just took it back because I was dealing with too many things at once. And I should have. I should have watched it because, hey, hey, guys, um, I'm hoping that I'm basically talking directly to Leela on this one, but... Uh, I'm hoping if anyone out there is doing the thing where we're talking about a movie they haven't seen and they watch the movie first and then listen to the episode. Don't, don't do it. do that. I'm trying to catch you. Or at least if you're going to watch it, I need, a, I need you to hear this trigger warning because there is a trigger warning for this movie. Yes. Uh, sexual assault. Big time. Big time sexual assault. Um... And I was not ready I'm pretty for that. sure I saw something about this movie originally being rated NC-17 when it came out. Yeah. And then the rating system changed so they could backtrack it to R. Yeah. Yeah. Which, this might be the first NC-17 rating we've ever done. And if that's the case, I don't know if I want to do one again. <laughs> nope. What, you don't want to see Anna de Armas play Marilyn Monroe? God, no. Um, no, I do not. Okay. Uh, so, Lust Caution is set in the 1930s and 40s in uh, Japanese-occupied Hong Kong and Shanghai, yes. respectively. The, er- the, the earlier times are in Hong Kong um, when our main character, uh, uh, Chechi, uh, is in college, and then the later time is in uh, Shanghai, after the events of the first thing happen and some time passes. Um, so basically the story more or less is like you, it opens on a frame story of Chechi, uh, posing as, uh, uh, Mac, Mac Tai Tai. Um, and as essentially as a, uh, you know, rich, rich, uh, rich wife, a rich housewife. Um, and then we flash back into like how she got into the situation, uh, essentially being a spy uh, against the cooperative, uh, cooperative Chinese uh, prop government under the Japanese. Um, so we go back to the 1930s. The Japanese are just starting to like have combat in China, and she sends herself off to Hong Kong to go to school. 
Um, and she gets in line with a bunch of acting students um, who are also very, very politically radical and want to help the resistance. And essentially, they create this entire ruse to where now that they have an in with a staff member of um, one of the major uh, players in the uh, cooperation government, uh, that they're going to try to weasel, weasel their way into his life so that they can find a way to assassinate him. It more or less doesn't work, aside from getting Tony Leung's character, really, really, whose name I already forgot, um, really, really romantically interested in our protagonist. Oh, Mr. Um, basically. Mr. Yi. Um, everything more or less falls apart for the actors. They all have to go their separate ways, especially because right after things fall apart, they then also get found out and have to murder a, a man who is about to turn them in. Uh, so they go their separate way- ways. Things get much worse in China under Jack- Japanese occupation. And uh, our uh, Quang, 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 I don't. Kwong? I oh, okay. I the, don't. the the pretty boy the pretty boy lead actor uh, lead actor head activist who's been also eyeing our main character for a long time convinces her to go back into the affair with Mr. Yi because Mr. Yi is now essentially in charge of the Japanese equivalent to like the SS um, in Ch- in the Chinese prop government um, and so it's just a long affair um, until like finally she's circling enough she's like close to his wife and she ends up staying in their house. And so she's getting closer and closer to him and he's a violent man. So he then finally takes quote unquote, takes what he wanted, um, sexually assaults her and she has to continue the ruse. And the unfortunate thing about the movie is that it it is loosely based on what people believe to be a true story of an actual spy who tried to do this with somebody in that government, um, under the same kind of guise of being a mistress. And basically the narrative of the way the story unfolds, which baffles me because like a woman did write this. Um, and that's why I'm kind of just like, Oh my, how? Cause every other notion to me reads that this is not, I mean, I guess some, I guess a woman also wrote twilight. So there's that. <laughs> um, and so basically she starts to consent and quote unquote, fall in love with him. This is easily an hour 15 to an hour 20 into the movie that this is happening. So at this point, I am more or less checked out. I'm like, yeah, this isn't fucking real. Um, this is a weird kind of fantasy interpretation of potentially true events, and I'm kind of annoyed by it. Um, and in the end, she like gives her a really big fucking ring as a statement of his like ownership of her. And right when they're about to assassinate him in the uh, jewelry store, when she's finally getting the ring, she warns him that they're coming after him and he runs and he survives. And then they all get rounded up and killed in a quarry. And I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe you're sticking to the, what you believe to be the true story, but God damn, like this was supposed to be a romance. First of all, this is a war movie. This, this is just a war movie. It was not supposed to be a romance. It was supposed to be an erotic thriller. I don't like that. I mean, I mean, I can't, look, no, I mean, I'm with you um, because I do think there were certain steps that maybe could have been taken to address this. I mean, first of all, this movie did not need to be like fucking two hours and 40 minutes. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it could have been like two ten, two fifteen, easily to the point where like when I when I first saw that it was 240 and wasn't quite I was absolutely tracking the plot because like 
a lot of the terminology I wasn't quite picking up on. Like, I know the history, but like, I had to look up the fact that they were calling everyone Tai Tai. And I was like, oh, it's like First Lady. It's like a title given to women who are wives of like officers. Um, and I was like, okay. So like, I had to look those things up in the top of the movie. And when I knew that it was two hours and 40 minutes and I saw her doing a play, I was like, oh, it's one of these movies where the character does a play for a portion of it. Great. And then it turns out that the actors are like, pivotal to the plot and i was like i actually didn't even expect that quite frankly i knew that because i think the most i knew about this movie was that it's about a group of actors in school that are patriotic and determined enough to actually try and use their acting expertise to try and infiltrate and assassinate uh a corrupt government official and then it's all about how like you know it's tense and they're not sure if they can pull this off and the main woman has to be has to genuinely seduce this man and you know the way I thought it was going to go into it it would have been kind of like a heist or like a political thriller movie in a sense but just with some you know very tense, flirtatious scenes. And that's all I was expecting. And instead of that, I got a long, dry movie about a guy that cheats on his wife and doing forced, unconsensual BDSM to... A, a woman that that's actually that's actually let's let's not even loop bdsm into this because like it's not even well because like it's just I, like abusive like bdsm has like boundaries and safe words and yes. <laughs> that's why i'm trying to say unconsensual because i'm like it's so twisted because i'm like so wait a minute in his head in his head how is this supposed to go because you do this to about 90, maybe 95% of women. I don't know how you think this is going to keep going. Not when you you haven't had any kind of conversation about this. There's never been any kind of like sense that this was going to happen. And then you just start assaulting this woman. Even if she was into you, it's like, I don't know how this just doesn't stop in any other universe other than I mean they would both have to be into this specific style of sex and intimacy no and like that's the thing is that like we actually have an entire scene where she has to learn how to have sex with another dude in order to get away also, with that also I almost gave up on the movie right then and there yeah cause gross cause gross because it's like, the way that, it, yeah, sorry, you, the you way, the way it was being set up, I thought the most obvious thing in the world was that obviously the main woman and the main like Andre Ross, like, you know, rebellion dude who starts all of this, they have tension. They have flirtatious, like sexual tension with each other. They clearly like each other. So I thought this was going to be a twisted kind of almost Titanic dynamic. Yeah. Of like, you know, these two. Like she has a real have, boyfriend, you know. Right. These two have genuine feelings for each other. But then he 
has to watch her try and seduce this very dangerous man. And I thought it was going to go that way. And then... No, because, like, the movie almost wants you to, like, enjoy the the inevitable, quote-unquote, love between Chechi and Ye, and Yi. But, like, there's never once that we I ever am convinced that I'm like, oh, there's good in this man. No. Never once. Never once. To the point where the ending is completely ruined because you failed in that. There was no way that this man probably ever could have came back, but you didn't, it felt like you didn't even try to like humanize this man in any kind of way, have them have any kind of sincere connection other than she just says that she's falling for him, that he's working his way into her heart like a snake, which isn't even that much of a romantic kind of compliment. That's abuse. And so like the movie is not a commentary on abuse by any means. Because it's not really setting us up for any sort of like complex understanding of that dynamic, nor is it a romance and trying to save a character, nor is it really getting deep enough into the political intrigue and the other machinations of like what's going on around them for it to be a, a espionage war movie. It's like it's just kind of a limp, a limp, weird. I don't even want to know. I don't. I, I hope it's not someone's fantasy. I mean, there are to people. Be fair, there are people who have like, you know, there was just a show. There was like fantasies. Yeah, like, yeah. There, there was just exist. a. There was just a show at my theater that was is one of my favorite pieces that they've ever done there, where they're having college students in the wake of a sexual assault talk about like what they quote unquote like and what they want and what they think they should and shouldn't do. And it's a complex thing because you'll have two characters in that scene on opposite ends of the spectrum of like one who's scared of everything, probably because of past experiences and another who probably had it like an introduction to sexuality and a time and a manner that was not great for them, but is like, you know, is empowered by the want to be like not, a human for a moment. And so like, I want to like live in a place where like people can have desires that are valid as long as no one is subject to abuse and that it's like consensual. But like, yeah, that's not what this is. It's not having that conversation. It's just showing us sexual violence. And not like this movie's too long. It's a bit too, I don't even feel comfortable saying indulgent, but like, it's t- it's tired. Yeah, it's like taking too much time like, to do this. Like the assault into consent pipeline story was tired from the first time it was told. And honestly, I think this movie could have just been made much more tight if the climax was like the first time they were about to have sex. If you were leading to like all of it was seduction, all of it was seduction, all of it is leading to finally the guy gives her like a coded message and it's like, meet me here at this time and we're going to do the do. And then she informs the rebels and they're like, okay, it's fucking go time. But we have, we like can't move until and leave it open-ended until like, we can't move on anything until we're definitely sure he's there. He's definitely not in any position to like, you know, 
run or defend himself or call for reinforcements. So it's like you kind of have to stall for a bit. Hopefully nothing goes too fast, too soon or anything like that. But like you have to make sure you get him in the room and you stall him for a bit. And then we're going to try and either sneak in or like take out all of his guys and then ambush him in there while he's got his like pants between his ankles and shit. Like, I thought that would have been a much tighter way to do this because, yeah, once you start doing the whole, oh, it's barely even sex, it's more so like a power thing and an assault situation, and it's very uncomfortable to watch, and they keep doing it over and over and over again, that's why I'm like, okay... This, I feel like, is not the right story if you want to make this interesting for me. That's me. It might not be everybody, but I'm saying personally, like, I didn't need this. I didn't need 240 of this. It's also just, like, kind of predictable. It is there, except for the ending, yeah. Like... I you know I I also don't get anything from these you know I don't get anything from these sex scenes in terms of narrative. No, I fast forwarded um, through every sex scene. Yep, same, same. Once that first one set the tone, I was like, no. Nah. It's like, are you just trying to be subversive to be subversive? I also had to have a laugh moment where like he's meeting, uh, she's meeting uh, Kwong in the th- in the movie theater, and he's like, I'm not gonna let you get hurt, and I'm like, bitch, too late. I we almost <laughs> said the exact same thing. <laughs> It's like I said basically late. that while I was watching, I was like, she already has been hurt, bro. And like he has a like uh, Tony uh, Leung has a whole monologue where he's like, I started hating the people around me because I thought about them having sex with you. And I'm like, I hate this. I hate this. So many men have said that in so many movies. I hate it. I hate it so much. And look, if we wanted to do Fifty Shades of Grey, would it, we would have done it in February. OK, like like. Now, I'm I'm over violent men. I'm over it. Same. But you know what I'm also over, Trev? Am I supposed to answer that? <laughs> I mean, it's a rhetorical, but you're supposed to respond. Uh, you're you're over the presence of that many white people in Shanghai in 1943. No, I'm used to that. But uh, like, <laughs> once I saw Fearless, uh, they had the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um. But. You know what else I'm tired of, Trevor? What? So, decision to leave. Um, yeah, okay, moving, moving right along. Decision to leave. <laughs> very, very similar. Very cut and dry. It's It actually does take place largely in, like, 2022 or maybe 21, but, like, it's modern day. Um, and it's about a, and Korean Korea. detec- a Korean detective who is... In Busan. Doing a couple of different cases, like a couple different cases kind of come and go throughout the movie. But one specific case is about a mountain climber who apparently fell to his death. And at first they're just, you know, they kind of assume like maybe he just fell, but also they have to be diligent, do their due diligence and like look through all the potentials of like, well, he had a wife, maybe his wife killed him. Like, like, let's explore that. And apparently he did, beat his wife, which is a, like a, oh, well, yeah, now we really have to look into her. But as the detective is looking into this female suspect, he starts to basically become obsessed with her. 
Um, and it really straddles the line a couple of times of like, sometimes he's doing genuine detective work and then other times he is literally just stalking her. So it's like, and it only kind of works because at the end of the movie, she absolutely admits to having a voyeurism kink. I don't even know if that makes it work for me. (laughs) No, it it doesn't work, but you get my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and eventually they start this. I was about to say friendship, but no, this relationship. Like they don't kiss until an hour, a hundred minutes in, which is honestly fine. But like their quote unquote relationship is literally the definition of boundaries. What's that? Yeah. Uh, Because she just kind of has free reign over this dude's entire life, basically. Yeah. And also burns the evidence from her own case. In his own apartment while he watches her do it. And it's just like chill. It's just like, yeah, all right. But eventually he figures out the case and figures out, oh, shit, she actually did kill her husband. And but he like can't go through with like turning her in. And he's like, oh, I can't believe I compromised this case because I was crazy about the suspect and I'm now ruined. I'm now like... He says broken. I'm broken. Oh, I'm devastated. And he tries to like part ways with her and he moves to a He like moves back with his wife. City. Yeah. Uh, and then she follows him. <laughs> <laughs> because she ends up with another <laughs> shitty guy. She's now Which is a trope I hate. Remarried within a year. Um, no, it's... Oh yeah, that's right. It is three months. Shit. No, thirteen months. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a year later, and she's already remarried to another scumfuck, and this guy has like people after him, and he mysteriously dies as well. So of course the detective is like, "Look, fool me once, shame on me." Fool me twice, you can't get fooled again. So, yeah. uh, (laughs) The who? Can't believe George (laughs) W. Bush makes a cameo in this episode. (laughs) God damn it. But, uh, so, God, Bush was president during Las Cosh. Or or Horatio from CSI Miami. Oh, I I guess so. <laughs> I, was quoting cool again. A, I was quoting a very specific George W. Bush <laughs> quote. Oh, um, uh, I know. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, she follows him over to this other city where he's living with his wife. Oh, yeah, he's married, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that yet. Um, and her new husband also ends up dead. He is hardcore, like, you killed him. No, no, no. No, 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 because you're you're not going to do this to me fucking again. I may have somewhat believed you the first time, even though I kind of didn't. This time, I'm going to catch your fucking ass. And lo and behold, she actually did kill her husband this time. But she killed someone else. But she (laughs) She killed killed someone else to prompt the guy to kill him. And uh, it's just, it's so much, and they kiss on a mountain as it's twisty. He scatters the ashes of her grandfather and mother, and it's just like, okay, all right. And then he immediately comes back, and his wife leaves him. 
assumedly for her like coworker friend, but maybe not. Cause that's really ambiguous. And I'm like, of all the things to be ambiguous about, why be ambiguous about this? Like, I don't know what, Oh, okay. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. I mean, his wife is just a squiggly line of a woman, quite frankly. <laughs> like they but, definitely like, she characterize her. Cares about him. Yeah. Like they, but they very much characterize her as the kind of woman who's like, so we're just gonna get you some new slacks, and then everything's gonna be all right. <laughs> like that's that's who she is in this movie, and so she made me laugh all the time. And I was just like, oh, you poor girl, you poor girl, you don't know how to live in the world, <laughs> you don't know how to do this. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm not going to try to trash her. She's just kind of like that. <laughs> just read her for so much filth. Um, so yeah, pretty much. <laughs> just that like very like tight-lipped I'm not going to say my what's happening and I refuse to take control of the situation. So I'm just going to, like, tap you <laughs> It's what I'm going to okay. do. Okay, so the guy that actually killed her husband mentioned that he put a tracker in her phone. So they used that tracker to track her down because, I mean, they did realize that, like, oh, well, she did actually kill somebody. So they're trying to track her, but then the detective is also trying to track her because she recorded the last conversation in the previous city in Busan uh, where, where he lets her go, he basically admits to like screwing up the entire case because he was definitely biased and definitely pining for the primary suspect. Um, so it could be very bad for him. Uh, so he's also chasing her for that, and then she commits suicide in a way that like the the thing. She... Okay, so I'm sorry. I do have to actually give this context earlier in the movie um it's established early on that the guy has insomnia he hasn't slept he doesn't sleep very well at all uh the only time he actually can sleep is when he you know encounters this woman anytime he's doing stuff about or with this woman he sleeps wonderfully which is very troubling but anyway we're gonna we're just just gonna move right on past that uh he also establishes that, like, he keeps unresolved cases, like, all the photos with, like, the tacks and the board and, like, the strings and stuff. He keeps all that up when they're unresolved. That's why, initially, she helps him solve this completely separate case, and it gets resolved. So she's like, okay, so you can take this stuff off the wall now, and it'll help you sleep. And she starts burning it. That's when she also takes her own stuff down because they, quote-unquote, solved her case. Uh, and so he has a thing with unresolved cases. So that gives context to later on, like after he tries to leave her in Busan, and, sorry, in Busan, and uh, he's like, take this phone, which is the evidence, the main source of evidence that she killed her husband. He's like, take this phone and throw it into the sea, bury it deep where nobody can find it. And she takes those two things and attributes it to her suicide basically later on where she buries herself and becomes one of his great unresolved cases by committing suicide in a way to where she buries a deep hole 
in the beach and lets the high tide drown her while also covering her body in sand. And he's like searching for her, screaming her name. And little does he know she's literally dead beneath his feet. And the movie ends there. That's decision to leave. It's the whole thing. And I got to tell you, Trevor, the second I found out this guy was married, I'm like, I know exactly how the rest of this movie goes. Yeah, that makes sense. Are there are there married people who shouldn't be married who really like these movies? Straight people. You're saying all straight people shouldn't be married? No. <laughs> I'm tempted, but no. Um, Are there just a bunch of Gen Xers and boomers being like, oh man, I loved that. What do you want, honey? Like, like, because I'm reminded of like those TikToks where, uh, where like a queer TikTok will look at straight TikTok and be like, are you guys okay? No. (laughs) That's why I I made that joke. (laughs) Because I'm like, like only only in like heterosexual relationships is this got a stuff lot of like, patriarchy going on like normal only there is uh, these stuff just the norms of like being married to someone that you don't really love anymore and you just haven't divorced you for some reason now hold on arguably that's a boomer thing i mean yeah because millennials just aren't getting married um <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> I would agree with those things you've said. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this movie, first of all, first of all, the thing I need to say right at, right up right up front here, the movie looks great and it's edited really well. The cinematography is great. The pacing is great. It keeps you off kilter. There's some cool, interesting shots. Yeah. Like there's a shot inside the eyeball of both victims. That's pretty cool. Like, transitions are very sudden and sometimes very seamless. Like, they transition from one setting to another setting. They establish that days are running together really well. Uh, It makes a lot of the beginnings seem like it's just a stream of consciousness, which makes sense because the detective suffers from insomnia, so it would kind of feel like that. It feels like you're just drifting from one set piece to another in your own life because everything's smushing together because you're not sleeping. You're not thinking 100% straight. So I thought that was really good. Um, You're thinking gay. (laughs) Moving on. Um, (laughs) Although there is... (laughs) There is is one shot very early in the movie where uh, the partner is strapped to the main character's back and they're literally climbing up the mountain via a rope and the guy is like why are we doing this and i'm like yeah why are you doing this why are you why are you climbing up the side and the way it's shot i'm like are we in wes anderson right now because the way this is shot is very weird <laughs> that wes anderson trend is happening like as we <laughs> just promise me you won't make our trip to see my parents a Wes Anderson movie uh, t- <laughs> <laughs> oh god um, 
I feel like TikTok has drastically changed the trajectory of a lot of these episodes. Good. Of our podcast. There's a lot more Good. references. Um, and if and if all of you like the fact that that's happening, you should write your representatives so that they don't regulate one of the few pieces of media that they don't have their fucking hands on. Yes, I'm on just, my soapbox. I was just about to make a joke about like make sure you write your congressman, and then you just did the eh. that, but for real. <laughs> I was just serious about it. I did. I actually wrote all my representatives. I'm like, don't fucking do this. <laughs> don't please. As if God, that's going to change what Chuck Schumer does. But, um, <laughs> boo. Oh, I'm trying. So, to, yeah, I'm trying to think like, cause yeah, recuperating I think one, of the, one of the quickest ways to make this movie, excuse me, a bit more palatable for me and a bit more tension filled is to not have this guy be married. Because the second you tell me he's married, I'm like, okay, so he cheats on his wife. All right, I got that. Understood. Like, it's because this is a film thing at this point of, like, there's too be- there's been too many of these stories. There's been too many of these, as Trevor said earlier today, there's been too many of these Dangerous Liaisons movies. And, like, he's never really that conflicted about it. No, that's... Once he's obsessed, he's obsessed. Right. That's what I'm like... I Like, it's very clear he does not love his wife. <laughs> TJ behave. So, uh it it's like I was about to make some Were you going to make of, a Mulaney reference? I was about to make some <laughs> I know you. comment about Mulaney and but I'm like I know you. Keep your business. <laughs> keep your nose out of another person's business. Stay in your um, lane. <laughs> stay in your John Mulaney. Um <laughs> That was terrible. Um <laughs> I'm terrible. No. Um, so <sighs> it's a thing of there needs to be actual tension. There needs to be actual tension. And I don't mean yeah. external tension. I mean internal tension about this guy. They make it as though she's like a spider woman trying to lure him in, but she's not. Spider woman. Spider woman. Cheats on two guys with the wives. Does whatever um, a spider couldn't. God damn it. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, they like they try to. That's what I thought this movie. That's what I thought the movie was going to be. It was that it was like she was actually going to intentionally lure him in. But that's actually not even what happens. He says something in the scene where like she where he quote unquote finds her out where he was like, oh, were you just going to like pretend that you liked me? So I do everything for you. And I was like, dude, she barely had to do that. You're just a really bad detective. <laughs> like, you do so many stupid, stupid things in this movie because you want to bone her. That, like, she didn't have to try very hard to flirt with you. She doesn't really flirt that much in this movie, which is why I'm just like, I don't care about what happens to this guy because he's no. just an idiot. He's and just like, dumb and unhappy. This, this story could have been so much better if there was no either there was no cheating element or there was like a cheating element but like not with a married man but like somebody who's dating a perfectly fine woman and so you're trying to root for this guy like no 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 don't 
don't go for the risk. Go for like this one, this perfectly nice woman who likes you, who you're about to propose to, and just don't do the stupid thing. Whereas if he's married, I'm like, look, I've seen Act Two of Hamilton. I already know how this fucking goes. Like, yeah, it's there's no tension there. Like, but one of his first actions is he buys her the sushi that his wife asked for. <sighs> and from there, I'm like, cool. He's he's done. It's done. And honestly, I just would have preferred if the guy was an actual detective. I would have preferred yeah. if he was genuinely like trying to be a good detective, but he's torn no. from like also being like nice to this woman. Cause like there's a really there's a like there's a line that's really good much later into the movie where um I think it's basically it's when like her second husband has been killed and they're questioning her and it's something along the lines of he's like what do you expect me to think and she's like that poor woman or no he yeah he basically lays out the whole thing like so i met you the first time when your first husband died and now you're here again in my district again and your husband once again has died and you expect me to think what that it's all coincidence and she's like i expect you to think wow that poor woman and there's something there in that line this movie could have been a thing of this detective is straddling the line by trying to be respectful and trying to be kind to this woman who has been through a lot, had an abusive husband, he's dead now, and he's maybe suspecting that she killed him, but he's also like, well, maybe the dude kind of deserved it. And it's like, it's this gray area of like, yeah. I can't quite prove that you killed him. And I think that you did. But I'm also kind of hesitant to push this subject because we actually get along really great to the point where I kind of maybe want to be friends with you or maybe I am falling in love with you. I don't know. But it's also competing with, but I'm still a detective and I can't yeah. shake this notion that there is something that has yet to be overturned here. And on top of that, like it could have had, you could have had everyone else in the room be like, no, she fucking did it. And him be like, hold on, hold on. I'm, I don't, I don't always just assume that the wife did it. Let me try something else. Like you could have had that, but no, he's like very much like seeing a early evidence of going, oh no. Almost like he doesn't want to be doing it at all. And then there's. Cause also just like, fuck all these cops. Well, yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> like his partner's a fucking maniac. Is he? Yeah, when he gets drunk and just starts stamping all over people, and apparently, like, I don't, I don't understand how the partner ends up in the on the girl's couch because he drunkenly. Because apparently, nobody. He drunkenly went to her apartment, but she's the one that made it look like he like tore the place apart. Sure, but why did he do that? I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. Exactly. And that's the problem with this movie. Yeah. Is that. Some people just do things for reasons. And I'm like, yeah, I don't understand like, <laughs> why you've done that. It's also it's just like there's not enough evidence. Like, sure, we we all accept that he's oddly infatuated with her and he's got an obsession. But also, like, at a certain point, these stakeouts are not helpful. 
you're not learning anything new with these stakeouts. They're they're kind of a gratuitous waste. They can't possibly be helping. And like everything is just deeply unethical where he's just like, oh, I have her phone number. I'm going to text her a piece of evidence and see what she says. I'm like, no, oh my God, no, you don't do that. Like you don't go to her house and stay there or cook for her. Like, again, this would be a thing. Telling her the name of another suspect? This would be a thing that would be 100% different if there was no wife, he was single, and the case was supposedly wrapped, and everyone around him was just understanding of like, oh yeah, well, I guess it was a suicide, and oh well, case closed. I guess that girl is like free to go, and she's completely innocent. And then the woman approaches him and is like, Maybe we, now that the case is done, we can actually, like, be friends. And he's like, yeah, I don't see why there would be a problem with that. The case is closed now. If it's after that and there's a hard sense of, like, there's no un- there's no ethical thing, she's been cleared of any charges, and now all this stuff starts to happen, and then slowly but surely through the movie, he starts just, he can't shake something doesn't feel right. Something isn't quite right. And that was the movie more than anything else. I think that could have worked, but like, no, but he decides that showing her his stakeout phone recordings, voice recordings is romantic. (laughs) Just everything with the voice recordings. The fact that she like then starts to like it. And then also, has does her own voice recordings and it's a whole plot thing that they both use voice recordings. And I'm like, listen, no one uses voice recordings that frequently. No one, (laughs) not even no one does that. And there's a moment where he, in the second murder, he starts to take a voice recording and then stops. And he's like, no, 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 no more of that. And I thought I'm like, yes, in a different version of this movie, that would have been a great thing of like, once he starts sniffing like the smoke of a fire that is the guilt of this woman, that is when he could start like, she knows my patterns. She knows my habits now. Let me deviate so she can't fully predict what I'm about to do next. Or she can't trap me some kind of way. Or I guess basically I want this to be a noir. I, I, I think that's just it. Yeah. It's just like, because she could have just been a femme fatale, which is... Fine. It's a thing that has existed for many decades, but I just, okay, I, 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 I like it when he's talking to the old woman and he calls her granny and she's like, where do you see a granny? I'm like, yeah, you tell him. Your relationship with, el- with older people is it's fascinating, right? Very storied <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I well, that's think that's I'm, the episode. I think I'm done with decision yeah. to leave. I I wanted to like it, and to we decided to leave. I didn't hate it. Um, the visuals and the editing and the pacing were all very good. It's just this the the whole thing of him being inside the investigation when he's not physically there though was like I just think it was poorly executed. I think so much of the movie is meant to be creepy when I didn't need that. Right. 
you could have just told this largely straight. I think that's a I'm a creep. That's a thing that I keep finding myself saying in a bunch of episodes recently. I'm just like if you would have just done this straight without trying to do an extra thing on top of it, like if you would have just given me the thing at, on the surface as it should have been. What the hell am I doing here? Then I honestly would have liked it more. I would have been fine with I that. I don't belong here. <laughs> I mean, I don't belong here. So <laughs> then decide to leave. Uh. I'm sorry, you're you're setting me up for a very dark joke, and I know you don't want. Okay. That, so oh no 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 I know. no no no. <laughs> don't 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 go don't go rock climbing, TJ. Don't go into the um, light. <laughs> uh. So yeah, um, forty-five minute episode, huh? Yep. I'm sure we don't have anything else to talk about. So Shang Chi, thank is... you. Oh God, I thought you were. I thought you were gonna do it. <laughs> I was this close. I was literally. We were playing a game. We were playing a game of chicken about who was gonna do it. You should have seen my face. Oh God, this is an audio media, but my face was just like lit up with a big ass fucking grin, being like, "Who's gonna do it? Who's gonna do it?" So TJ and I decided. <laughs> <laughs> that like this was not enough content because we were both just like man we're just gonna put these things in the fucking dirt we are gonna put these things in the sand on the beach like tang uh, way and be done with it but that's not enough content so we were like what can we do what can we do do we postpone it do we put it with something else like there's that celine song movie that's coming out but it's not till june do we do it later do we do it to do one of the other episodes we want to do early and just switch it around and then i went we could do shang chi <laughs> Which I would also like to, you made a, a joke about that. I want to say that the performances in both movies were completely fine. Um, yeah, absolutely. Specifically, uh, Tong Wei, like, yeah, very good in both movies. A very talented actress that I think just happened to be in two movies that were not for us. So Yeah, absolutely. I want to just put that on the table. Before we now talk about Aquafina and sort of make it feel like <laughs> they're on the same level, no. Well, and like we've got like a transitive property going on with these movies, where it's like, okay, we I watch we both watched Decision to Leave first, and then the transitive property of Tong Wei brought us to <laughs> Lust Caution, and then the transitive property of Tony Leung is bringing us from Lost Caution into Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, um, and I'm like, cool, that's and I enough for me. Preferred it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so like quite literally this is almost like two episodes smashed into one um and we tricked you haha now i'm imagining us as like stadler and wardorf uh um what are the actual names from the muppets stadler and wardorf yeah uh i can't quite remember who's who or i don't know who which of us would be who but i'm just now imagining us doing that bit of being like grumpy old critics in the balcony uh, and hating on things because that is kind of what we're doing in this episode a little bit. Well, so obviously we're in Marvel territory now. I got my whole thing about that. 
Um, like, but I will say, so we could do, we can actually pivot to like history with this movie. What did we think the first time we watched it? Uh, first time I watched it was like a year ago. Yeah. I mean, it came out. Yeah. You watched it late. I did see it when it came out. I watched out. it late. Um, it's, and I, I did like it and I do still like it, but I, I want to acknowledge that this movie has some inherent flaws that I think could have been avoided. I have to wonder how much pandemic affected it. I have to wonder how much it was the fact that like Daniel Dustin Cretton is relatively new to the scene and maybe that's where some of the choices came from. I don't know a lot about, I didn't look too much into who wrote it. Um, And also a character that like, I think that they kind of similar to guardians of the galaxy, like took and decided to be like, "Mm, let's take the skeleton and give it a fresh coat of paint because like the character in the comics is very stoic and stereotypical in many ways. And they had a lot of stuff to dodge with that. Um, like the character's actual father in the comics name is Fu Manchu. Uh, so they didn't want to do that character. Uh, and so there was a lot to like juggle with this being the first Marvel's for Marvel's first Asian led superhero film. Deep beleaguered sigh to watch this after the ending of lust caution, um, was certainly a choice. So, this, if you're asking me my history with this movie, the first time I watched it, it kind of just passed through me. I was like, okay, I accepted it and I moved on. And then I watched later on, I watched a video from this uh, YouTube content creator and author of two different books that I, I think have done pretty well, uh, whose name is, uh, and I really, really hope I get this pronunciation right, Shirian, uh, so, oh my god. Actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need to practice this for a second. Shiran, okay. Shiran Zhexiao, um, and they are a really good content creator, so I just have to assume that their books are also pretty good, um, because what they have done, and it started with the 2020 Mulan, which is a great way to start your YouTube career, where they basically are, I believe, a Chinese person, uh, and uh, therefore, and they have studied history pretty extensively and know a lot about Chinese culture and history. So they went through the 2020 Mulan and eviscerated it both for historical stuff, but then also just this movie's awful stuff. And then did the same thing with the animated Mulan, which that was very eye-opening and very enlightening. I like uh, content creators who can do that thing of like, yeah, go ahead and take a movie that I genuinely love and tell me like things that are not so great about it that I never knew before. It won't effectively like ruin how I view the movie, but it'll make me like more knowledgeable about this stuff. Like how in Mulan, the animated one, it doesn't make any sense for Mulan to cut her fucking hair. Like, it actually really doesn't make sense for her to cut her hair. It's like a really no-no thing in uh, Chinese culture. Um, So, long story short, they've done all this stuff from like Turning Red to Avatar, and they did a video on Shang-Chi. So I watched the video on Shang-Chi, 
And some things the movie got surprisingly right. And then some other things, it's more... And I think it was a more, more of a thing like the 2020 Mulan of just like, some of the things are just symptoms of a not-so-great movie. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Uh, if you would have told me that this so, movie was actually written now during the writer's strike, I'd have been like, eh, I buy it. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually, I also buy that. Which is why I'm kind of like, all right, what did they do? What did they do? Did they fumble the bag specifically because they didn't quite know what they wanted to do with the source material? Because the source material is just rife with with prejudice and stereotypes between his actual father and the Mandarin as a character uh, in general. Like, you know, it's rife with pitfalls. So, like, did they really not know what to do with the source material? Or did they come across constraints because this thing went into production probably right around the same time that everything locked down? So, like, that's a problem. So you got to, like, then get people back on set as soon as it's safe right away to, to make the movie. So, like, what are you doing, you know? Um, or did they make half the movie and then have to come back and make the other half the movie? I don't know. I didn't do that much research. Um, do you want me to give a very brief overview of the plot and then we can get into it? I just realized how close Shang-Chi is to Shanghai. And I'm wondering if that was on purpose. No, I don't think it is. I don't know, dude. Shang- Shanghai is one word. Shang-Chi is I'm just saying word. if you look at them spelled as words right next to each other, it's like, Stanley, <laughs> did you do that thing you like to do again? <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so realistically, let's be real. Shang-Chi unfortunately doesn't get to be the startle- starting focal point of his own movie um, because we start by catching us up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe on the actual Ten Rings and the man who ran them. He will never actually take the Mandarin name for himself. Uh, And so his name is Wenwu. He is thousands of years old, and he has command of the Ten Rings. Um, And we see him go through history, and the story is being told... um, I can't remember if it's being told by... uh, the mother. The, their aunt, who is Michelle Yeoh. Oh, it is being told by the mother. Yes. So there's narration by the mom about how he was this warlord who had this extraworldly power um, and conquered the world over. And then finally, like, in seeking another world to conquer that was more mythical, um, in the 1990s, he finally came across uh, Talo and came across the woman that would become his wife. Um, which I think her name is Yi. Uh Lee? No, Lee. Her name is Lee. Um, her name is Ying Lee. Um, and they have this essentially like homage fight to Wire Fu uh, that kind of makes them go, oh, hey, we're kind of evenly matched. Ah, you're kind of interesting. You're kind of hot. Kind of like you. And then we flash like two seconds later and it's like, oh, hey, no, they're married. They have babies. Um, and he gets to kind of like be that man for a little bit. Um, things eventually break down. I'm going to tell the story not totally in the narrative as it's told. Um, but essentially they have kids. She dies. We learn how she dies later in the movie. Uh, and he kind of goes back to his life of crime. And their two kids grow up in this environment um, around the Ten Rings where Shang-Chi, his son, is trained to be an assassin. And the daughter kind of has to just sit in the background because misogyny. 
Um, and so we flash forward. Uh, Shang-Chi is going by the name of Sean in San Francisco, uh, hiding away from his father by being a valet uh, alongside his best friend, Katie, who's played by Aquafina. Uh, essentially, <laughs> essentially, there's a plot in motion when Shang-Chi gets a, a postcard from what he believes is from his sister. Um, and then subsequently, very shortly after that, some of the Ten Rings soldiers, including a guy named Razor Fist, um, who has a stump hand that then becomes a flaming sword um track him down and try to steal his pendant that his mom gave him um they end up stealing the pendant and he gets away just fine and so he goes to try to help uh, find his sister in macau uh where he's been set up to find her with this postcard katie goes with him um they find out that his sister uh while she was kind of in the background of his entire life and he thinks he's she's one person she's actually running an underground fighting ring um at the top of a construction a a half constructed tower um and we also get a Wong and Abomination cameo at this point. Um, so they fight for a little bit. He learns the backstory of what his sister's been up to for, you know, how for all the years. I think it's been about like 10 years or some uh, since he ran away uh, after he was on a mission, succeeded in that mission and then fled because he didn't want to deal with the consequences. Um, and then essentially they learned that like neither of them were trying to get them together. They just needed to get Shang-Chi into China so that Wen Wu and the Ten Rings could then ambush them and take them back home because Wen Wu's whole plan is essentially I'm going to find Talo again. I need these two uh, pendants to unlock a map that my, her, your mother left in our house. Um, and I'm going to reunite our family. And they basically look at him and go, she's dead. You're crazy. We don't want to do this. And he goes, fine, I'll lock you up. They meet, uh, they get locked up. And who is also locked up, but Trevor Slattery, who was the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. They team up with him and a mythical creature because slowly as they start to talk more about Talo, they're realizing, oh, this place actually might be the real deal. I mean, our dad has 10 rings. There were aliens. We, there are, you know, crazier things to believe. They break out relatively easily uh, because uh, his sister, uh, Xialing, uh, knows the compound really well. And so they get the help of Trevor Slattery and Morris, the uh, creature that they never say what is the creature's actual uh, species name is. And they get to Talo. They go through this maze of bamboo uh, that's a constantly like a shifting maze, kind of like in Harry Potter. Um, they get to Talo and then they meet their aunt, who's played by Michelle Yeoh. Uh, and they get a lot more history on like what Talo is. They get some training. They get some armor upgrades, some weapon upgrades. But Wen Wu does eventually come and find them. They find out that Wen Wu is not actually hearing their mother's voice in his head, but hearing the voice of a demon from another dimension um, who Talo is uh, tasked with guarding the gate uh, to that dimension and keeping the Dweller in Darkness out. Um, Wenwu is being manipulated by the Dweller in Darkness, and eventually they come to blows. Wenwu, uh, you know, hurt, kicks Shang-Chi's ass um, and then proceeds to, in his stupor, uh, break uh, small, you know, minions of the Dweller in Darkness out of uh, the gate so that they can help the larger one get strong enough to get in there. Uh, essentially, they have the big confrontational fight between Shang-Chi and Wen Wu. Uh, and then right as that fight is ending, the Dweller in Darkness does come out. The Great Protector Dragon is also a part of this battle. Um, and they have a big kaiju battle uh, to essentially stop the big, you know, the big uh, end of the movie monster. Uh, and Shang-Chi then takes ownership of the Ten Rings once Wen Wu gets killed by the Dweller in Darkness. Um, and then the movie ends really quickly after that. They mourn everybody who they lost. They go back to San Francisco. They're telling their friends the story. And then Wong shows up and goes, hey, you're Avengers now. And that's Shang-Chi in the Legend of the Ten Rings. Yeah, and there's there, apparently their friend is uh, Stephanie Sue. Stephanie Shu, and so okay, 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 okay. So if we're just gonna get into this, you you chose to have Aquafina when Stephanie Shu was right fucking there. Also, Erica Ishii exists. Exactly. 
I'm like, you chose Aquafina to do this role. And it's very clear that you wrote the role around Aquafina. Which it's why? very clear. Which and why? I'm just like, Stephanie Shu would have made this movie so much better if she was the companion. Also, so much better. Even necessarily need a companion. I know I'm going to say the same thing. Oh, we are so (laughs) vibing right now. Um, So, did you, how many like notes, notes did you take, or do you just have big notes? I'm going to tell you right now, Trev. You didn't take notes? Great. Uh, (laughs) We can use mine as scaffolding then. That's my, that's why I'm asking. Um, I'll tell you right now, Trev. I opened my notes. I wrote. Uh, the thing of like Shang Chi. I had a bullet ready to go, and then I realized I'm like I'm gonna be writing every five seconds. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So first of all, I think that the opening scene with the battle in like ancient China is actually kind of underrated. I really like seeing Wen Wu get un- like unleashed. I like what they did with the Ten Rings because the Ten Rings in the comics are finger rings and they have like one's an ice ring one's a fire ring one's an illusion ring one's a gravity ring and i'm like that would have been so much to keep up with i'm actually very okay with them becoming bangles and it being changed i'm actually very okay with that also it definitely steps on the toes of the infinity gauntlet which we just saw exactly yeah so i'm like i'm okay with him having less specific powers i'm okay with him being nerfed a little bit even though, no, he can actually just dish it out as easily as anybody else. So, like, seeing him in action in all these other contexts in this flashback in the beginning, I really liked. The problem is that, like, that actually kind of takes away from the main character of the movie when I actually kind of just want to watch Wenmu for most of the movie, you know? Um, and, like, I just think that underrated, the scene is underrated. I also really like the Wirefu influence of the parents' fight, Um, I thought that was a really nice homage. I appreciated it. Um, I'm glad that the entire movie is not like that because I don't quite think that that would fit into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, let alone Americans maybe aren't the people to be making that movie? Question mark? Thoughts? I mean, fair, but this is where the obvious thing, the obvious response to that is like, well then yeah, you should probably get more probably get more Asian people involved in the actual making of the movie than... I mean, the director's Asian, and... The uh, writers quite, quite, are yeah. also white, and then the director. So it's like... Mm. Uh, well, I, I, I'm I'm really curious, because the sequel... They are, they are already uh, trying to get Jackie Chan to be in the sequel. Um, and knowing Jackie Chan and how Jackie Chan is on set, I'm like, ooh, I really hope this is a... I really hope that's a good influence. Yeah, I um, hope Jackie gets to influence the movie and not the other way around like it was in Rush Hour. Yeah, which, to say that note now, the Rush Hour reference of uh, Aquafina on the bamboo pole, because um, you know it was. Uh, anyway. And then also just acknowledging that once again, Tony uh, Tony Leung gets a younger woman to fall for him because um, he's just got that riz. Boo. Okay, so so to your point, to the point that I actually like, so, you know, stepping into the scene where it's like, it's Aquafina, Stephanie Shu, Shang-Chi, the other guy. Um, and first of all, like, just a lot of the exposition in this movie is clunky. To be, I mean, um, let me give you context, Trev, because I've, while we've been talking, I've been looking at the writers of this movie. There are three writers. As I mentioned, one is the director. The other two are just white guys. The best thing on their resume combined that they've written. You want to take a guess at the 
in my opinion, the best thing they've written that I've actually heard of. I don't think I could, so just say it. The rebooted Godzilla with Brian Cranston. Oh, interesting. It's so interesting to me that this director also is responsible for Kang Dynasty. He's going to be writing Kang Dynasty. And I'm like... Which, who knows what's going to happen there. (laughs) And I'm like, it seems like the most random decision, because I'm looking at his... It feels like a... It feels like a... If the movie is centered around Captain America, then give it to the Russo brothers, kind of a politics, if that makes sense. Like, it sounds like Shang-Chi is just going to be a big factor. So they want the guy who's got that movie on lock or the person they're trusting with those movies, because we're going to have a second Shang-Chi movie before that movie comes out. So I'm like, okay, okay, I don't like that. That's how you chose that. And I actually think something tells me that that's going to change. Something tells me if the second Shang-Chi movie does poorly and is well before Kang Dynasty that they'll change. Amongst the other reasons they're going to change that movie. I'm even wondering why he got this job. Cause I'm like, right. He's like been a producer on more things than he's been a director or a writer. I'm looking at all the things he's written and I haven't heard of any single one of them. So maybe it's just one of them or two of them are really great. And I just happen to have not seen them, but I'm like, of all the people to get this specific job, I'm genuinely wondering, I'm like, why, how did he win the job? What yeah, happened? Because I mean, like, yeah, it's not like this movie is hot, heavy enough in concept. It's not like he could do a sizzle reel like Taika did for Thor Ragnarok and make everybody go, oh, like there was nothing to like go off of. And this, the, the movie conceptually is not totally tight. So it anyway. is very not tight. Yeah. Like it's like it's sim- simultaneously martial arts and fantasy. And like that can work. But it's like it's not tight. Um, Like there's, a you know, and a given given it is it is sitting on the backs of a Marvel universe that also has technology and martial arts and fantasy. So like. As a Marvel movie, it can work. As its own movie, I don't know. I mean... So anyway. I mean, yeah, I want you to keep going with your notes. Clunky exposition, like that story that they're telling to like ground them all in their high school relationship where it's like, so I'm doing this and she's doing the, and she's just doing the most. And she comes in and she starts singing Hotel California. I'm like, ooh, this is a tall acting ask of anybody. Like, I'm listening to the scene and picturing it written out on the page, and I'm like, oh, this was a tall ask for anybody to make it sound natural. Because um, it's just kind of not. And that comes up a lot of times when they're trying to do exposition about anything. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, you're kind of just, you, 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 you definitely bit off a lot with this movie, and you're trying to catch us up as quickly as you possibly can, and it's not smooth. This is where they could have used a Louise scene. Yeah, exactly. And well, not only that, but like, and so on top of that, like Aquafina in that scene is not helping it. And that's when I remembered Stephanie Shu and I went, oh, so much better to have Stephanie Shu as a potential foil to him because I'm like, A, I think they would probably have more chemistry because um, Aquafina has trouble getting chemistry with fucking anyone. Um, I don't think they have any chemistry whatsoever. 
Um, well, not any, chem- like they have chemistry maybe once or twice in the entire movie. The rest of it, it's just, she's kind of just along for the ride and he has to worry about her. And I don't think that they have that much chemistry. Um, I'm not, I'm whereas just not I trust say anything because I'll just start slandering. I'll just start slandering so, left and right. Okay. Getting into like a, <laughs> a thick note that I wrote that I'm going to read verbatim for my notes. Yeah. Okay. 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 So a bit of criticism of this movie is that Shang-Chi doesn't have a great arc or at least a very unique one. He is very like, hey, I am the dude and I can do these things. And it's kind of like, okay, are we, we might, we should be past that point with Marvel. Why did it land this way? And I'm going to argue that someone probably wrote a Katie character in to help with that. But by writing it for Aquafina it actually takes more away from him than it gives. Like when their friends are calling them out on being immature, she's like the more vocal one. She's the more vocal one when they're like walking out of the restaurant and just walking on the streets. Um, And then like he could have been wrestling with his friends being like, what are you doing with your life, bud? Like we care about you and you're not really doing anything. Like you're just, you're just being a valet when we know you like speak four languages and like can be, can do so much like, And that could give him something to actually be like, you know, wrestling with. Like, he knows that he can't go back to his past and he knows that he can't be successful or else he will be discovered. So he could actually be wrestling with that. But no, Aquafina is like a pressure valve that sucks all of that potential out because she's derpy. And like he could have been, it could have said something about him if he was like, yeah, guys, you know what? I'll think about it later. But you know what we could do? And then flash to them doing karaoke. Cause that says something about him in this moment. When, when she, when she's the one who like does karaoke with him is outspoken about how everyone's wrong about the two of them. Like it just sucks everything out of his character development also, and puts it on her. The closest thing. Well, I think he does kind of have two or three arcs, which is already kind of like, meh, especially when you then also have the Katie character. Uh, and I agree with everything you just said, uh, pretty much to a T. Uh, but it also connects to a thing that his dad says much later in the film where they're, when they're fighting, he's like, always running, always hiding. Right. That could have been an actual attribute of his character at the beginning when they're having when they're having that conversation. If it was just him and there was no Katie and it was just him his friend uh, Stephanie Shu, who is now gone on to do better things, and her new husband and everything like that, and he's kind of like third wheeling a little bit, and he's feeling a little bit like a failure or whatever, and they could be talking in confidence to him of like, hey, so what's going on? Because you graduated from college, you did really well, you excuse me, had all this stuff in front of you and you just kind of haven't really been doing anything. And then we can later flesh that out when he talks to like Michelle Yeoh and he's like, yup, I was just kind of, I had this feeling that I was always meant to do this one thing. And this one thing I didn't really want to do. I didn't want to fall in the footsteps of my father. So I just wanted to do anything but that. And I haven't actually been, living and it's it could she could even reinforce you've been running from it you've been hiding who you actually are and you don't have to be your dad but you're also not 
the valet guy. Yes. You're Shang-Chi. This is you. And so, like, the, the note that I had for later, which is my other big, thick note for this, is that, like, I feel like a better version of what Michelle Yeoh says to him, which is, you are the product of all who came before you. A better version of that is, you think that you have to do this the way he trained you to do it. And that's not serving you anymore. You've outgrown him. You need to do something different. And your mom taught you a different way. And that can be the thing that brings him peace. And maybe he doesn't accept it right away. Maybe he's like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. And maybe something in that final fight, because in that final fight, it does click for him. Like, they don't not, they they do call back to the way that his that his mom could also work with the Ten Rings. Like, they do it. And they do show his mom in flashback, like, teaching him a different way, but they don't lean into that as a major, like, potential theme and cathartic moment for the audience in the movie. Because if you did, that's actual growth. Like, that's real growth. We don't know, like, in this movie, as it stands, we don't have a clear understanding of what he's hiding inside, because in reality, he never got to be himself, Like, that's also something that we should talk about. It's like, he's always hiding, and thus he is not himself. He was a weapon when he was a kid, and then he was a refugee in later in life when he was hiding. He doesn't know who he is. And so she's saying, you don't have to be either of those two things. You don't have to do it the way your dad wants you to do it and the way your dad wanted you to be. You don't have to be this other guy you invented. You can be who you actually are and find who you actually are and be at peace with that so that you can then go and kick some ass. And that's a better movie. I think a very beautiful and poignant way to have put it is like, I can imagine Michelle Yeoh going like, why do you think your mother left Talo? Why do you think she did that? And he's like, well, as the story goes, uh, she fell in love with my dad. Right. And why do you think your dad did what he did? Why do you think he trained you the way he did? He raised you the way he did. And... Maybe he gives some kind of answer that's not really good enough. And she goes like, I want you to dig deeper because I know you've thought about this. And I want you to strip everything else away and just think about why your father, who you know loves you, why he did this. And he goes, well, I guess it was his way of expressing his love, even though it was not right. It was his way of being like, he did it because he loved me and he loved my mom. And that this was the only way he could really show it. And she's like, okay, exactly. So your mother did one of the most important things in her life out of love. And your father did one of the most impactful things in his and your life out of love. But let me ask you something, Shang-Chi. When you're running from your father and you're being a valet, and you're kind of hiding who you actually are, and you're only living a fraction of your whole life and your whole potential, are you actually doing anything out of love? Or are you doing it out of the fact that you're just supposed to? You think you're supposed to be a weapon. You think you're supposed to live this normal life in San Francisco. But what is it that you want to do? You have to, at some point, find a thing that you are willing to put everything on the line and do it because you love it, because you want it. And you have to stop. You have to step out of the shadow of everything that's come before you. And that's how you're going to find out who you are. 
what you actually believe in, what you actually care about. Like, I think the frustrating thing about this movie is that there is a lot of stuff you could do. And it's like, yeah, it's all there. You just built it wrong. Yeah. And I was having thought many times this specific time watching, I did not have this thought the first time, I don't think. But when I was watching this movie now, today, I was like, oh, I think I get the problem. This should have been two movies. This is fair. Yeah. This is two movies mashed into one where there should be no Katie. The closest to Katie should have been Stephanie Shu. Like, if you just have, maybe establish that, like, she's not married and that's just another one of their friends. It's three friends who all went to school together. Oh, yeah, I'd ship them. Yeah, like, make it three friends that all grew up together and then two of them went off to better things and Shang-Chi is still kind of wandering around. And Shang-Chi goes on this journey on his own but I think the first movie, this movie, should have just been about him and his sister going up against their dad. And that's it. That should have been the whole story. Like, that way you can fit in a lot more character work, a lot more background work. You can do a lot of character relationship work with both of the children and their father and with each other and all this stuff. And then the big bad of the movie should have been his dad and the big dramatic question should be, do I kill my dad? Do I, like, I? because at a certain point, because I think the movie should have been about, like, you're going to take over for me. You're going to be the heir apparent. You're going to take the Ten Rings, and you're going to do what I did. And he's like, and uh, uh, Shang-Chi should be like, no, I don't want to do that. And that's what drives the conflict and makes them fight. But then the question is less... Will Shang-Chi defeat his dad? Because his dad wants him to defeat him. But the question should be more, is he going to kill him? Because ultimately that will seal the deal on like him being the weapon that he was trained to be. And that's not what he wants. And Zha Ling does want to kill him. So Zha Ling actually ends up doing it. Well, no. I would argue that like in the first movie, it should be he's the big bad. The dad is the big bad. And ultimately, Shang-Chi does not kill him. They, like, lock him up or whatever, and they go about their business. And then the second movie should be all the Talo stuff. It should be the Talo stuff, them exploring Talo and, like, learning this lore, finding out that there's an evil they must stop because the gate is weakening after all these years. Very, very weak, weak deep depths of Marvel villain. Sometimes it's fun when they dig deep in Marvel and go, that guy, this was not one of them. No. Uh, and then, like, they got to go like, oh, we need such and such for such and such reason, which makes them have to go back to their dad. And now it's a thing of, like, he was the villain in the first one, and now they're reluctantly kind of, they have to work together in this one. And this is where you can kind of get that more complex gray area relationship between Shang-Chi and his father because there can be an actual complicated relationship of yes I know you loved me and I know that you did what you did because you care about me and you only want what's best for me but that doesn't stop it from being abuse and fucked up like they should have those types of conversations where it's like 
the dad is not necessarily apologizing and Shang-Chi is not necessarily forgiving him per se, but like it could just be messy. It could just be a messy relationship because honestly, we don't have a ton of that in Marvel, in my opinion. Like we don't have a lot of really juicy, messy relationships. The last one we had was maybe Thor and Loki in like Ragnarok, but Uh, Nebula and Gamora. I think that's only messy in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, though. Because, like, it got resolved in Guardians 2. Like, for the sure. mo- for the most part. Like, they... I mean, as someone who's seen that movie and you haven't, that's, you know, one of those things. I mean, I kind of... Look, I have not been about the spoilers the way I have with other things. So I know things about Guardians of the Galaxy sure. 3. Um... But even that, just the premise alone of, like, it's the Gamora that hasn't gone through all of her character development. Yeah, I could, like, you know, I could understand that, like, her relationship with Gamora is kind of weird in (laughs) Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Because, like, one of them has now gone through all the character development, and the other one hasn't. So it's like, uh uh-oh. But, and then, yeah. And then you earn the dad dying in the second movie. Instead of, like, I think this is what... And to be fair, uh, Shiran also does point this out in their video as well. uh, When they're like, this is the laziest way to redeem a character. It's the laziest way to write off a character that has done all this emotional torment to the main character. And then they just don't have to deal with any of it. He's dead. Hooray. And it's just like... Come on. (laughs) so so okay i actually believe that like i don't disagree with your interpretation of it it's you like every time you and i talk about separating things into two movies it always does seem to land cleaner i still actually think there's a way to get more payoff out of this movie than what it is and it simply involves moving some of the it's like first of all it's baffling that talo is an hour into this movie like, I know you got to get us up to speed on the dimensionality of things, which is flimsy at best. When they start using the term universe for Talo and say, we had cities just like you, we were, we, this is a new universe. I'm like, this doesn't help with the whole Marvel multiverse questions. Talo is a big question mark in the continuity of this whole fucking thing when you're already trying to sell people on a multiverse. So the fact that they even let them use the word universe instead of like dimension or like pocket thing, like up, like we are an out, like an an enclave um, at the border of dimensions. I'm like the fact that you said you're an entirely different universe just pisses me off. Um, so anyway, uh, like Talo is just very flimsy. And, like, a lot happens once Michelle Yeoh is trained. Like, once they're all training and once, like, they build to this artificially built moment of personal crisis for Shang-Chi when they're doing flashbacks to the people who killed his mom and then Wenwu getting revenge on those people and bringing Shang-Chi along. And then they do a second pass at the helicopter departure scene when he leaves the compound for the last time and there are just a few things that you can do to do all of that 30 minutes earlier 
so that he can actually deal with it for the remaining 45 minutes of the movie. Am I making sense? I mean, this is basically the impetus of why I said this stuff with like the dad specifically and the should I be a weapon, should I not be a weapon, should just be its own stuff in its own well, movie. Like, they have that fight at the top of the big fight, the micro fight where he pushes him into the water, where he's like, you've always been afraid of me and you've always been running. And and then he's like, Shang-Chi's like letting his anger out. He's letting his frustration out. And I'm like, this fight should have happened right when Shang-Chi said, no, I'm not going to follow your bullshit. I'm not following you to Talos. So you can slaughter a village. That's when that fight should have happened. Because then they could have just been like, oh, okay, cool. So these are all the emotions that we couldn't have in this, you know, that we haven't had for seven years. And I've, you know, over dinner, they've just been building up in me, building up in me, building up in my sister. I want to fucking fight you right now. And then he loses. And then we get to sit with Shang-Chi defeated instead of, and and then he can take the rest of that time to go through the things we talked about of like somebody like his aunt saying, hey, I believe in you and you're going to be okay. There's a different way. You got to let go of this anger. You got to find peace in who you are instead of who he wanted you to be and all the anger involved in that. Like you can save the movie just with the stuff going on here because if you just move it earlier, if you move it earlier and just have one fight scene right there and then get straight into when Wu shows up, a big battle happens and he just goes straight to the gate. And Shang-Chi has to chase him and can't quite get there. Like, the movie then plays out relatively the same way, but at least he's emotionally in the space he needs to be earlier so that we are with him emotionally as well. Instead of 10 minutes later, once he gets a dragon out of the water, suddenly he's at peace and can do the things that they wanted him to do with the memories of his mom. Because we knew that 30 minutes ago. We could spend the time putting the pieces together instead of just, he's there, you know? I mean... I don't know. I think Talo is just a pretty big order in general to stamp onto this movie. Yeah. Like, I think it's mainly the Talo stuff. I'm like, this might work more if we already are familiar with Shang-Chi and we don't need to do any of the backstory, like, you know, character development there and we can just focus on Talo. That's better. Yeah. Um, But they also, and in those scenes, they also hang their hat on him being like, I killed a man and I didn't like it and I ran and now I don't know what to think. I'm like, that's actually not relevant to it, let alone to have like Katie be the one he confides in in that moment, let alone giving Katie an entire side plot in Talo. Uh, I mean, which yeah, I'm not is... one to you, you and me. No, I'm not one to bag on to like rag on side characters. This is just like the fact that she's just taking so much away from the movie that could be done for him is just yeah. like this is bad. Again, That'd be like if Louise was a, a, a drag on the Ant-Man movies, which he's not. I mean, again, this is why I'm like, you can do this type of stuff if the whole movie's about Talo and not about this character development for Shang-Chi. This is why I'm like, yeah, se- separate these two things, please. Because also, yeah, Shang-Chi should be doing a lot of this stuff with his sister. And I think yeah. your idea for like an actual earlier fight, I'm tempted to actually give that more to his sister. Because I think... sure. I they do tease it a little bit like they have a very brief fight in um Maca- Ma- Macau Macau yeah 
Uh, they have a very brief fight there, which kind of does that. But I mean, I want an actual, like, I want a proper midpoint of the movie. A character's been holding on to this shit, sick of their shit, and now they finally have the blow-up moment. I want a proper, like, that kind of fight that yeah. you were describing of, like, Shang-Chi versus his dad. Yeah. And I think that could have, this is why I'm like, I would have really preferred if it was more about Shang-Chi repairing his relationship with his sister, and only through that do they take down their dad, and it's a very cathartic, like, no, we're not going to put up with your bullshit anymore, you traumatized and abused us, and now we're going to actually defeat you and foil your plans and yada, yada, yada. And that could be a cap for, like, Shang-Chi's character development and like it can actually be like by the end of that movie we now know who Shang-Chi is as a character and then in the next movie you can be all like the Talo stuff and maybe the sister like you're still exploring like look I know we took down our dad but I don't that doesn't necessarily mean like we're best friends now like we still got yeah. baggage like I, I don't know this is like typical stuff and there's like there's also just so many flashbacks to other things and training montages that I'm like, we don't have a flashback where uh, where Jenling is frustrated with her brother, nor do we just have the flashback of young Shang-Chi standing over a dead body choosing to run away. I'm like, why don't we have that? Yeah, it's a lot of telling. Exactly. Like, he tells Katie, like, I did a bad thing, like, when they're just sitting there. And I'm like, why do I need Aquafina to get screen time in this moment? Because, and, and truly, in the first watch I ever had with this movie, when, when Aquafina was there for this moment and we spent time out of the beginning, uh, you know, just prior to the final battle, talking about this at all, I was like, okay, was her missing grandpa from earlier in the movie one of the gang? And that's who he killed. And then he was like, ah. Oh. And then when he met her in high school, he was like, oh, shit, it's the girl. Oh, wait, no, I actually, she's my friend. Oh, shit. This is something I've been holding on to for years. I'm like, are we going to do that? No, we didn't even do that. Yeah, I think for me, I would have. <laughs> I think that is one of the things of like. I think Winter Soldier. Pro... No, sorry. Uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Uh, or I guess, okay, technically Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, kind of did that better in a way that I would actually prefer. It's like, I don't want to get to know the person too much that he's like trying to have this relationship with, even though he did this terrible thing to uh, want somebody he's related to and he feels guilty about it. I think in this setting, I don't know how Shang-Chi comes back from that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like that's a big reveal before a final fight that we then have to deal with, which is, you know, maybe they did write that and they went, oh, this isn't working. Um, <laughs> maybe they backed off of it. I don't know. Because all the signs point to that. Um, but like, sure, whatever. Um, other things to say about this movie, um, like, you know, it's got some of the trappings of the MCU of like there's post blip mental health posters in the background, which I never noticed before. Um, like, I think that that because the script is less satisfying, like uh, Shang-Chi's sudden ability to fight on the bus. I love the bus scene. I think it's a cool fight, but his sudden ability to do it is not, is like, it's not as satisfying as it could be 
if he had been dealing with anything other than just dicking around with Aquafina for the first part portion of the movie, if he was dealing with anything and then this showed up and then he had to fight in front of his friends and show himself after hiding, it could have been satisfying, but it's not satisfying here because all the air is taken out of it. And like, God, I just like, I don't think Simu Liu is a bad actor. I think he needs a better script. Like a lot of people were dogging on him yeah, he and I'm like, it's not him. He definitely needed a better script and better direction because like, again, uh, many people have pointed this out. What the hell is his personality even? Uh-huh. He's just a nice guy. Which and that's not good enough. It's fine. If you're going to put it's this fine guy, as a person. If you're going to put this guy next to fucking Tom Holland Spider-Man. Yeah. Like if they're going to be the two young guns, like he's got nothing. Exactly. This is where I don't know exactly when things were written in like a sort of a timeline, but like Currently, the MCU is lacking a Captain America type presence, and that was originally probably going to be T'Challa. And yeah, honestly, this could have been an opportunity to maybe have that with uh-huh. Shang Chi by the end of his first or even second movie. They had to have been writing it around, the, like finished. They had to have finished writing it before he died. I guarantee you. Yeah. Based on the timelines of things, because he died around, he died about a year before this movie came out, yeah. while everything was still locked down. So, like, yeah, no, they couldn't go back. They could probably, I think they would probably just release the movie anyway, and maybe try to build to that at a later point, or they might just be pivoting and saying, well, it's Anthony Mackie now. Which oh, I think that's they're true. doing. Yeah. They're just keeping Captain America. That's true, I suppose. It just feels like there's too many people that are, like, goofy. No, but that's the thing, is that, like, we don't have another Spider-Man movie to set Tom Holland up as Iron Man. And so, like, there is just going to be kind of this absence of an Iron Man figure for a while. Even though, like, Tom Holland is supposed to be the lead in the way that, like, in the way that, like, Robert Downey Jr. and Josh Brolin were the leads in Infinity War, it's supposed to be Tom Holland is the lead in Kang Dynasty. Um, well, supposed to be. We'll I think see. By the just the merit of Spider Man, it's Spider Man. You're, yeah, you're 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 not gonna get that same Iron Man esque type protagonist. It has to be a yeah. Spider Man type protagonist in that like he's the underdog. Whereas yeah, Tony was very much like the man with the plan who maybe had too much of an mm-hmm. ego. Yeah. Um, whereas I think Anthony Mackie does actually fit pretty well one-to-one with the role Chris Evans played. Uh, if anything, I think maybe Captain Marvel is going to be more the Iron Man-esque. It's just going to be, it's got, I mean, it's just going to be straight up different. Like Shang-Chi, like maybe fulfills kind of a, maybe not in the way that he has like an army behind him, but he is, you know, he could fulfill that kind of like. T'Challa role of like coming in with necessary information and skills. Like if they weave the, cause the 10 rings are like my theory about them at, with that post credit scene is that they are future technology. That's why they're so old is because they've been hopping around the timeline for forever. I think they're Kang technology. That's my theory of how they, I think they're going to loop it back in. Um, people thought they might be Cree because of, of Ms. Marvel, but that's more so the Marvels and stuff. Um, people think it might be Eternals technology, but that seems too on the nose. So like, we'll see, um, what it's going to be like. Yeah. And the Eternals just throw a wrench in everything because I'm like, here's this whole other group of characters that you're planning on incorporating. This is just going to be inherently different 
than anything we've seen before. Yeah. Um, but anyway, some of the other things going on. Uh, I'm really sad that uh, do a flip guy is now a like blown up actor from Severance. So they will probably never get him back again without paying a lot of money, um, which makes me sad because I liked him in this movie. Um, there's also a white girl on the bus who looks like the actor who played Cassie Lang before the recast, which I think was maybe intentional. Um, <laughs> he has a lot of angry protection for his sister right around the time they get on the plane for someone he doesn't know that well, which doesn't work, in my opinion. Wait, He's like, I got to protect her. And I'm like, why? You barely know her. Well, no, I get that because like he's the older sibling from like an abusive household. So like I, and he did promise like, I'll be back in three days and then just never came back. So there is a lot of guilt tied up in that of like, if something happens to her now, I'm going to feel like a complete asshole. I'm going to feel so awful. That's not what they did. Yeah. That's not what they did. Um, Yeah. Uh, And then they do a lot of the things where it's like, this is very clearly Marvel going, Hey, we're doing Asian now. Um, with like in, there's some good instances and then there's some instances that are like, how, how ham fisted was this? The good instance is that like when he's at Katie's house and he slurps up the soup really quick that her, his mom, her mom made, um, out of politeness. Cause like slurping is a politeness thing when somebody else serves you food, um, in Chinese culture. So I was like, cool, glad that's in there. And then there's the other thing of like when Wu asking her, asking Katie her Chinese name. Um, and I'm kind of like, Mm, okay, I get how you do this, but the fact that it's white writers makes me kind of we- wary about it. I'm like, all right, did we just get a list of things that kind of have to be in here? Um, when uh, Ronnie Chang says, oh, I speak ABC. I looked that up. It's like American born Chinese is what that stands for. It's not just English, um, which is there's like, also, okay. There's also a thing that uh, uh, Shiran, um pointed out uh, in their video where they were like, I don't understand why so many people are speaking Mandarin when it makes way more sense for them to be speaking Cantonese because Cantonese is a much older language. So it makes sense why Wenwu would be speaking a very old language. And yeah, that feels like a choice for the audience and to be able to just let people speak without subtitles in China when it's released in China. But then also apparently, again, they had an also a thing of like, a lot of them apparently also aren't speaking it terribly well, um, except for like one specific actor. They, they 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 went out of their way to note they're like this specific actor is the one actor that's actually nailing Mandarin. Well, I'm sure it's Tony Leung because no. it's not really interesting. No, it's uh, uh the guy that mentors Katie apparently. Interesting. So uh, not even Michelle Yeoh is speaking it well. It's not that nobody's speaking it well. It's that, like, it's noticeable that, like, one person is nailing it. And then this is, this is why it's, like, weird that, like... You know what it... Okay. You know what it could be? Mm. It could have been written in English, and then they went, hey, translate this. I mean, there have been a, there were tons of instances of that in the video where, like, there's captions. And you can definitely see... They point out of, like... Yeah, the captions are saying this thing, and then the English is saying this other thing, and it's not one-to-one. It's not necessarily the same thing. Like, apparently, there's a line- Well, that's not terrible. Apparently, there's a line from that same guy, the guy that mentors Katie, where I think it's something like, I've lived 10 of your lifetimes, but apparently the line is, 
I think I might be screwing it up, but it's something along the lines of like, I've eaten more salt than you have rice. And it's just like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's hard. That's hard. It's hardcore. Love that. Um, and then they do, they definitely get into the whole like, oh, the kind of potential cultural misogyny involved that Jelling is uh, encountering. And like, like when Jelling is saying like, oh yeah, if you just don't say anything, he won't pay attention to you. Um, and I'm like, oh, is this supposed to be cultural or is this supposed to be their family? What's going on here? I think it's more um, their family because, you know, he's single-minded and he's always focusing on Chang-Chi and not taking advantage of the fact that, like, I mean, he also has a daughter that is very willing to do some of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, like, I actually do like the dinner scene when he's just like, yeah, these fucking Americans named me after an orange. I'm the, this is who I really am. And I'm like, okay, thank you for that retcon. I'm actually very okay with that retcon. Yeah. And, um, you know, it also, like, ties into, excuse me, the whole, like, names have power thing. And, yeah, you know, uh, Shang-Chi chose Sean, which it does line up with, like, in real life. Like, you kind of just go to the closest American equivalent of, you know, your your uh Chinese name Sean yeah um and then at in the end it's uh or and then you know I the first time I watched this in the theaters I was like Trevor Slattery okay Trevor Slattery and then this time around I was like yeah actually I didn't need Trevor Slattery I really don't like his role in this movie because this, this is the thing I have said before on this podcast. If you want comic relief, hey, here's an idea. Make your protagonist funny. Like, you, and he is sometimes. He has humor. It's, okay. It's yeah, just, screw it. It's just, I, I will leave it at he has humor. It's just clear that, like, there are specific comic relief characters when I'm like, we're all talking about how Shang-Chi doesn't really have a personality. You could just make him also Actually, if all the lo- all the work you went into giving Aquafina funny lines and Trevor funny lines, you could just give that same energy to Shang Chi, and actually fill out his personality and make him a very specific kind of funny, either self-deprecating or taking the tension out of a situation or being sarcastic or sardonic or whatever like maybe he has a super dark sense of humor because i mean he grew up literally kind being trained but also you know somewhat being tortured a little bit so it's like maybe he has a super dark sense of humor i don't know but just don't make him like star lord or peter like yeah you know well and also just like simu lu is always going to come across as like the good boy you should marry like, that's why I actually think he's an excellent choice for this, because then when we get to turn on the darkness and turn on this world that he has to exist in, he can be a bright light within that world. Like, I, that's why I think he's actually a really great choice for the role is because he is that nice boy. You know what? And you know what he can be a little bit sassy. You know what have actually maybe worked with Shang-Chi that you kind of can't quite do with other characters? You can do with some, but not all of them is, like, he could be the guy that's very nice, very polite, maybe a little awkward, but, like, you know, knows who he is, like, has confidence on a certain level. But then, like, in the same exact tone that he'll be, like, kind of 
being polite and kidding around with you, like, or like how he talks to like a mom or like a grandma, he'll say like, oh no, I killed that guy. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, oh, this, this is blood. Yeah. I like killed like 10 dudes. Yeah. He's like numb to it. Right. Like he could just, just threaten people very flatly of just like, because that's what happens when you know you have the capability to like, oh, I kill anybody in this room. I mean, I won't. Don't worry, I won't. But like, just so we're all clear, I mean, I I could if I if I wanted. To. I I don't. But you know, it's <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's like in summary, the 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 thing about this movie is that like. There's very clearly some Hollywood involved in trying to get Aquafina as a name attached. And and everyone was just really green. Like, it's very clear everyone on this movie was just very green to something that was going to get a really big platform. Like, Marvel's a really big platform. And so it's like, yeah, no, like if this was a one-off martial arts fantasy movie, you probably wouldn't have garnered any attention with what it ended up being. But because it's a Marvel movie, everybody now was like, oh yeah, no, that movie. And a lot of people enjoyed this movie, but it's certainly like, this is never going to rank, this is never going to rank with, with 25 movies, this is never going to scratch 15, let alone, you know, it's it's closer to 20. Maybe he could have been a film buff. Interesting. Then the like, kind of homages to Jackie Chan movies would actually be a bit more character influenced. Like, he could do a thing of like, oh, that always works in the movies, damn it. Or like, uh, some crack about like Bruce Lee was like, for the record, we don't all go, Wah! like, that's not a, that's not a thing that we do. Or like, just, I don't know, because it's just, <laughs> it's just so frustrating because I'm like, this kid, this guy has like no character except i mean he's simu liu i don't know what to say <laughs> i mean yeah he really kind of just is simu under the curve given circumstances based on every interview he's done he seems like a nice boy i look forward to seeing him in the barbie movie but like yeah that just seems like what it actually kind of is so maybe he'll get some characterization i don't know <laughs> that or it'll be a missed opportunity like uh. the whole ant-man series I'm not looking forward to actually catching up on, legitimately catching up on Marvel. You got 10 days before uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is on uh, Disney+. Plus. Oh, I thought you said you have 10 days to catch up. Because we're covering it. Surprise, motherfucker. Your birthday week Ah. is going to be actual torture. Uh, (laughs) Please. So, anywho... Um, yeah, yeah, this, this episode was a journey. (laughs) It was a lot. So it was a lot. I'm mentally fried. I'm tired. I, for the first time in like the six years I've been here in Vegas, I checked out a movie from the library and you have to unlock it with the thing. A lot of libraries do that. The one I in the one I went to in uh, Chicagoland did that too. For the first time in six years, I didn't unlock it, so I literally had to go all the way back, unlock it, just to come all the way back and watch 
a two hour and 40 minute movie that just didn't do it for me at all over the course of two days. And it was just this, this a lot. This episode has been a lot. Okay. <laughs> so I'm fried. I'm done. <laughs> uh, Trevor, do you have anything let any last little jab you want to get in on any of these three movies? When we were making this episode, we ran out of tape and we had to use a glue stick. <laughs> yep, you're a lucky, 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 lucky <laughs> luck audience. <laughs> we have something we have something extra special for you, Aquafina. <laughs> <laughs> This doesn't seem right. (laughs) 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 Like, like the detective in decision to leave does that speech and leaves her apartment, like the apartment in Busan for the last time. And she just calls out after him. I thought what we had was special. (laughs) (laughs) Cause she says in that movie, she, where she was like, the second you stopped loving me was when I started loving you. And I'm like, I hate this. (laughs) That's not how it works. (laughs) True fiction, complete fiction. All right, I'm I'm done. I'm done with this one. On to on to you're, next week. You're TJ Patrick. On to ne- <laughs> you're Trevor Catalano. Uh, next week is gonna be huge. So yeah, next week's gonna be great. <laughs> oh my god! So I gotta mentally prepare for that now too. So until next time, we've already said who we were. Um, lust caution. More like, don't watch it. Am I right, guys?